Hello, this is Tyler Davidson, Vice President and Chief Content Director for Meetings Today. Welcome to the Meetings Today podcast. Um, today, we'll be speaking with a couple of folks who are really experts in the field of speakers. Um, we have uh, Christine uh, um, Ahanatu, who is with a uh, Speakers Bureau um, and uh, about entertainment and AE um, speakers. Um, and we also have our own Christoph Trapp, um, who is besides running, uh, sort of the content end for meetings today and our sister publications, interiors and sources and buildings magazine is himself a speaker uh, out on the circuit and has, uh, spoken at, uh, many high profile events such as, uh, Salesforce and others. And we'll let him, uh, fill us in on that. So, uh, welcome you guys. Um, hi, Christine, why don't you... Tell uh, tell our audience uh, more about what you do. Hi, Tyler. Good morning. Uh, very glad to be here with you. Um, as you said, my company is AE Speakers. We are a speaker bureau based in Burbank, California, uh, and we run under the umbrella of About Entertainment. Uh, About Entertainment is our parent company. They do live entertainment, and we focus primarily on speakers. I am the head speaker agent of that division, and... Um, you know, we, we handle it all. We, we book speakers for corporate events, uh, private events, um, educational opportunities and nonprofits. Um, and we have booked and worked with every kind of speaker in the industry. <laughs> and Christoph, welcome. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me on again. And so tell, tell the audience uh, sort of what your background is and uh, what you do here for uh, uh, meetings today, as well as your work out there in the uh, world of speaking. Yeah, of course. Um, so my background really has been in storytelling. First, I did that in journalism. Today, I do it in publishing. Uh, part of that, of course, is also being in front of audiences and, and you have to, or you get to speak with them, right? So whether that's a keynote or a workshop or those kind of things. Um, so all these different content methods, in my mind, they, they fit together. So everything I do is, you know, I, I use every channel I can. Um, sometimes I make a keynote out of a topic. Sometimes it's a blog post. I've, I've written a couple books, uh, but I always enjoy that. I've, I've spoken around the world. My biggest um, experience to have to adjust all my jokes to a different culture uh, was when I spoke in uh, Mumbai. So you have to make sure your jokes apply to them as well. But it really teaches me a lot as well. So I'm always happy to hear Christine's opinion on different things and expertise, and of course, yours, yours as well. And, uh, and thank you, uh, Christoph. And Christine, you uh, described your company as like a boutique uh, speakers bureau. Why don't you just kind of describe more of what that concept is? Um, well, by boutique, I mean we, so we have 15 exclusive speakers um, that we represent ourselves. Some speaker bureaus simply act as broker, you know, between um, a meeting planner, an event planner, and um, the speakers themselves. And we actually have a few of our own exclusive speakers that we proactively sell. Um, and then we function as a traditional speaker bureau mm -hmm. that we uh, source speakers for all of our meeting planner friends. Excellent. Um, and why don't we got to get uh, kick it off with sort of a general question. Uh, what are some of the trends that you guys are seeing out there? And everyone talks about the new millennial generation coming up. Are their uh, preferences any different than previous generations? Uh, what do they want to hear and see 
uh, in a speaker? Um, well, I can say that the uh, the most popular industry right now is the futurist pop uh, category of speaker. Um, you know, this can be an array of topics, but really people are looking to see, you know, I think we all know that every industry in the world at large is changing extremely fast um, with technology, uh, with AI, with the incoming automation of many things. So uh, I have seen a huge uptick in uh, requests for speakers who can kind of speak to these coming trend changes uh, to that specific industry. And, uh, you know, with the millennial market, something about the millennial and the Gen Z, uh, I was actually, I had an event recently and um, I had the pleasure of seeing Jay Shetty, who is a former monk turned motivational speaker, storyteller. Um, and he was talking about how the new generations, you know, they want their biggest goal or their wake up every day why is um, to affect change, right? So they want to feel that they can affect the world um, at large. And so uh, the the main difference I see between generations past and present in terms of how they receive speakers um, and receive keynotes is that um, they want to be inspired and they want to be turned on to the future. Uh, and I think that's a little bit different than in the past. You know, speakers were brought in, they were often just motivational. They kind of got the team morale going and, um, you know, closed off a conference with a bang, which is great. Um, but I think the newer generations are kind of seeking a more experiential speaker, somebody who has uh, very unique experiences, who can speak to coming change. That's my... You know what, Christina, I, I, I so agree with that comment. What's so interesting to me too is that, um, a lot of times when you have something in the future, you can't necessarily go step out and do that right tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. But I still I still have a lot of event planners who say, what are the three to five takeaways that somebody can do tomorrow? And usually I, my, my snarky response is, you mean the three to five things they can do after listening to me for 30 minutes that I've learned in 20 years? <laughs> you know, none. Um, but it's it's interesting, right? Because the two worlds are colliding again. And but the experience, I'm, I so agree with that too. Even when I'm listening to speakers myself, uh, you have to make it fun. Uh, you know, you have to be entertaining. Um, I, I I can't understand honestly why there's still so many speakers who have PowerPoint after PowerPoint slide that they read to me. I'm like, just send me the link. I'll read it later. Um, but that is still, unfortunately, you know, people do that. But what's interesting about that too, Christine, I don't know about if your speakers get this question. I try not to use PowerPoint all that much, but that is the most asked question people ask me. They say, um, and will you send us the PowerPoint ahead of time or will you uh, bring your own computer? And it's so fascinating because I, even when I tell them eight times I'm not using a PowerPoint, they still ask me. Even when I get there, they say, do you have your PowerPoint? Yeah. Yeah, PowerPoints, you know, they they are a um they they have been a standard in the industry for a while and I I've seen you know many different ways of presenting a keynote. Some people love using them, some people don't need them. And you know, one thing I advise speakers to do um cuz sometimes you know I have new burgeoning speakers who kind of don't have their package together is that it, it all comes down to what you're talking about and um the message getting clearly across to your audience. You know, so um, 
you know, hearing what you say, like, I completely agree. I don't think they should be asking you, continue asking you when you get there, if you still have one. But I think it's just kind of a safety um, because when you are in front of so many people, you know, maybe you say something and the person in the back didn't catch it. So the, the uh, PowerPoint can just be helpful in having your point um, up there on a screen. And I also feel, you know, depending on your topic matter, um, you know, very technical speakers that are, you know, showing charts and graphs. Sometimes it's really, it's helpful um, to have those up so that, you know, it's a visual aid of sorts, but I, by no means do I think a PowerPoint is necessary for speakers. You know, that is a fantastic point because if you're technical, right? I mean, it's one thing if I talk about some technical thing, but if I have to show it to you, but interestingly, I was in LA this last weekend at a conference and I didn't even know they were doing this. And I'm still trying to talk to the person who ever did it to actually, we can do a, a story on them, but they had a live caption going on. So like I'm on stage and then to my left or the audience's right, they actually were post captioning the whole thing. It was fascinating. Like live? Live, yes. Yeah, I maybe. saw that recently myself at a conference that um, I had a speaker at last week. And it was bizarre. They were doing a talk back. <laughs> and they were, it's like subtitles, but as they were speaking. It was, so, it was fantastic. And I looked over there once in a while and I, you know, I, 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 I didn't try to read it too far, but it was just, and it was like moving along, you know, I'm talking and it goes, whoop. So, is, is that becoming yeah. more commonplace in the industry for that as technology catches up? with that and probably being able to provide that is uh, less of a cost barrier? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the, um, the company that is putting on the conference, you know, how the, the one that I was at, I don't know about you, uh, Christoph, but it was a tech conference. So, you know, they're probably, you know, it was up in San Francisco. They're probably right at the edge of that stuff. So they had the closed captioning. I haven't seen that at any other conferences as of yet. So, Christoph, was yours also a tech? Was it a tech um, event? Yeah. I, I would I would uh, put it in that category, a tech okay. conference. So probably that's um, they're on the forefront of trying those things. Yeah. And I guess you know, there's also when you're uh, speaking to a, in an international destination or to a, a international crowd, um, I'm guessing there's instantaneous translations of services too that play into it. So last year, funny you say that, last year was the first time where I actually had a live translator. I, I spoke in um, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I didn't even know this until I got there, right? And I'm like, I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. So again, that's another thing. As we're prepping speakers, um, you know, maybe that's something that should be on the list um, to talk about. But it, it worked out fine, but just kind of crossed my mind. So in Brazil, of course, they speak Portuguese. I don't speak Portuguese. I, you know, I speak English and German. So I, uh, I gave my keynote in English and they were live translating it to, uh, to the people in the audience. And then I had a headphone on, but I don't remember why I did. Oh, it was just a headset so they could hear me, obviously. Um, and it, I thought it was gonna be really strange because you know any jokes or anything that would cause a reaction, there would be a delay, but the delay was very minimal. So like maybe a three seconds at the most. So it was, it wasn't quite as delayed as I'd imagine it to be. That must be hard for a speaker when you're not sure if they got the joke or if it's kind of awkward when there's a pause before they laugh, huh? Yeah, but let's be fair, that happens with American audiences too. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about, how about let's get down to sort of the, the basics here. 
Um, you know, what should meeting planners know? What What are some really key tips? I mean, one I've always heard is if you if you're flying in a speaker, fly them in the day before, uh, right? So in case there's a flight cancellation or significant delay, they're yeah. going to be there for that speech. What other sort of top line things uh, should planners be worried about and make sure that they uh, facilitate? Tyler, you're spot on with that. Um, I know that, you know, it can be kind of a, a nerve wracking experience booking a speaker and stuff like booking them the night before, it covers a couple different um, bases. First off, you're gonna know that they're there. You're gonna have time to react and or, you know, if something is to happen, if they already get sick or there is to be some sort of accident or, and you need a fill-in speaker, you now have, you know, hopefully a 12 to 24 hours to figure that out as opposed to getting a call immediately before and um, having to figure it out last minute. Um, the other reason why, you know, flying them in um, the night before is, is key. Um, I always say, so whenever you're doing a booking a speaker, you get their performance rider. And this contains all the little things that they like and are going to make their trip good. It's going to tell you their AV requirements, you know, their stay and travel requirements, such as booking them the night before and or the standard of room. And my boss, Danny Bergold, uh, here at About Entertainment, he always says, um, you know, he does live entertainment. And in the world of live entertainment, your job is to make sure that your talent is properly cared for so that they can return the favor. And, you know, little things like making sure they're well rested, making sure that they weren't driving through traffic 15 minutes before um, can really make the difference. You know, it's going to it's going to make the difference you know, your speaker feels loved and appreciated um, because you have followed through and taken good care of them and they'll return the favor. And I've seen that work, you know, many, many times where little little kindnesses or uh, people paying attention to these, these little seemingly inconsequential things on the rider, like do they really need six Fiji waters um, backstage? Mm. And it's like, maybe not, they might not even touch them, honestly. Yeah. But Seeing them there, because, you know, they're going city to city, town to town, country to country. It just shows them that somebody in this huge corporation they just showed up to speak to read their writer and cared enough. And that's going to make them feel at home. And that's going to make them put on, put their best foot forward um, and put on a great speech for your, for your event. So that's one, for me, writer is gold. And as you said, bringing them in the night before and taking good care of them. Um, is one of the best ways to ensure you're going to have a successful event. Um, go ahead. You know, how, how do planners, how should they begin the process? So, you know, say the planner knows, well, you know, gee, I have a, a big meeting in, in Oct middle October next year. Um, I need a, a speaker that's going to provide some zing and get people uh, riled up and, uh, and interacting how do they suss that out? How do they begin the process? How do they determine within their own organization what their their audience might prefer in a speaker? Um, so you know, I would say, and this is this is not a plug for my industry, but I would say one hundred percent a planner should work with the speaker bureau. Um, and this is for a couple different reasons, mainly that um, everything you just said, which is how do you find out what the audience is going to like, or what is going to, what is zinging, what is going to zing with this audience? What is popular right now in the industry? What is a different kind of speaker? 
Um, who are decent speakers in my area? Who are speakers in my budget? You know, um, so all these things come into play. And for one meeting planner who is already running so many other aspects of the event, I can only imagine trying to do that stuff on your own would be um, paralyzing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I recommend speaker bureaus. I, I love working with meeting planners. You know, we're here as a service to them because and not every not every speaker agent is going to be like me but i i really make sure to curate a great speaker list um great speaker options for my meeting planner and i do this by really diving into those questions you ask you know i check are, are, is this a is this a boomer crowd is this going to be a millennial gen z crowd is it going to be a mix you know how do we speak to both um you know what is what is your goal what do you want to accomplish with this with this conference or with this keynote, even maybe there's a couple of keynotes and this is just the opening one or the closing one um, or some breakouts. You know, what is it that you see on this day of your conference and, and how do you see um, a speaker accomplishing that? Um, you know, and then it also takes additional pressure off the speaker as we curate this list for them and we present them with options. You know, I'm talking about bio links to videos, past demo reels, the fee, the travel buyout, what the client needs to provide, the rider, all of that is going to be hand-delivered to the planner from their speaking agent um, in a succinct email. So they, they can then pass that on to their client who can then make their decisions. Um, and it really takes a lot of the pressure off of, off of the meeting planner. And then when it gets down to really negotiating, you know, they pick a speaker, they found someone they like, and now you're negotiating uh, logistics and, and fee and contracts and um, you know, it's a lot. And I just think having that middleman of, um, a speaker agent can really, you know, they speak the speaker's lingo, they, they speak your lingo, um, and they're the perfect bridge to really kind of make this whole, uh, speaker booking thing, uh, smooth sailing. How does the model work in general with the speakers bureau? You guys take a percentage of, uh, the fee or. Yeah, it really depends. Uh, for our exclusive speakers, our fee is, um, built in. So we, um, you know, they have their fee, they go out, we proactively sell them and we take a percentage from them. Um, and the same applies generally for non-exclusive speakers. Some speakers prefer, prefer they have like a flat rate all around the industry so that everyone is pitching them at the same. Um, and then they give a commission off of their fee. And sometimes you, um, it'll be marked up. So, you know, sometimes, you know, depending on, um, you know, the client's budget or the speaker's budget or, you know, maybe there's two middlemen. Sometimes, you know, there are multiple planners working mm -hmm. um, on a project and then, you know, we're an additional uh, middleman um, and then we kind of figure it out at that point. But generally it's commission taken off of the, uh, the speaker fee. And then speakers can work through a variety of different bureaus. I, th I think I've seen that, right? Like a lot of times entertainers do that too. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, whoever has the relationships with the clients. Mm -hmm. um, if, if a speaker is exclusive, they only work with their one bureau mm -hmm. and their bureau is selling them. That's why, um, you know, like we are, we have exclusives, but generally, yeah, a lot of the speakers are out there and they have relationships with all these different bureaus. And it's really about, you know, the meeting planner having a relationship with a bureau or a speaker agent. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, that agent can get you, um, maybe not everybody that you want, um, but most of the people that you want. And if, if there is somebody that, you know, they don't have access to, then it'll be, as I said before, a 
a markup. It'll be a, a situation which they have to end up buying it from another bureau, mm-hmm. which happens all the time as well. Excellent. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a common problem. You know, I, I was an, um, an actor and an artist of sorts before becoming an agent. And it's amazing how often people want you to work for free, you know, and um, it's common. It is common because... Yeah, especially in our, in the meetings industry. I mean, if you go to any of these big meeting uh, planner, you know, trade shows or association events... You know, they'll, they'll get big time speakers and they're speaking to an audience of 20, you know, 2,500 people or more that can book them, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, it all depends for the speaker. It all depends on what the opportunity can offer. So, you know, as Tyler just said, it's a lot of times for especially industry specific conferences, speakers will do it pro bono, but that's because, you know, they're in a room of say 2,500 meeting planners who could potentially book them in the future um, and bring them income. I do see that sometimes for non, when I say industry specific, I'm speaking about like, you know, meeting planners, our event industry. Um, I do see often that people, you know, they have you submit papers and then they, they want you to perform for free or even pay for an advertisement. And that really comes down to the speaker. We do see that when we're proactively selling our speakers, you know, sometimes someone will say, Oh, we love them. We're really interested. And then you get into it and they're like, yeah, they just have to basically pay to perform. And that really comes down to the level of the speaker. Um, You know, some are willing to do it at the very beginning of a speaker's career. It's a great way to get footage. It's a great way to, um, you know, raise your expertise, get in front of other people you know, if you are a niche speaker speaking to a specific industry, such as the technology, cryptocurrency um, sectors, it's a good way to get some clout. Um, but, you know, it's hard because speakers need to earn a living too, you know? Yeah, definitely. You see that the same, especially in the music business, right? Uh, pay to play and people are just getting started and they, uh, yeah, <laughs> that old story. Uh, and uh, another topic here, and then, um, you know, both of you probably have an opinion on this. Um, how do you foster audience interaction? I think we've all been to presentations where it's just some sort of drab speaker up there on stage delivering a, you know, talking to the audience and kind of lecturing them, you know, with the dreaded PowerPoint or not. How do you get the audience involved in it? I mean, how do you get that uh, sort of experiential audience involvement element going? You know, it's a really fine Uh, balance. Go ahead, Christoph. I one time gave a talk and I tried to get the audience involved. It was like a Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. And even one person came up at one point and said, you know, it's 11 o'clock on a Sunday. (laughs) So that that day didn't work very well, but but I've had some success with interactivity, and I make it fun. I don't force anybody to talk to their neighbor, shake hands, hug people if they don't want to be hugged. Um, but the the one thing I did one time is um, I used emojis. So I uh, I talked about different types of content, right? Fun content, um, crap content, which of course is the swirly chocolate ice cream emoji um, that stands for that one, and other and other types of content. And what I did is I I used all these emojis and then basically as people were talking, 
I threw them into the crowd and people could keep the emojis. Now the emojis cost like, it's like nine bucks for like a 30 pack or 24 pack or something. So that would work for a number of things. So I tried to make it fun and not have the forced interaction where people just have to talk to each other about something that they didn't even understand what they were supposed to talk about or, you know, they don't really want to. Um, and it's, um, you know, so I always try to come up with something new. Um, Yeah, that's hilarious. I really love that idea of using. Right. Um, the, you're talking they're, about like the little cushy emojis like, that you can on their buy. Backpacks, right? So I have <laughs> yeah, a bunch of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really. It depends. There's a bunch of different ways. Um, if I would say for an organization or for a planner, if you know that the speaker coming up on stage, their topic is pretty dry and they're pretty dry, but it's a speaker that. The organization wanted because they have a lot of great knowledge to share. Um, one great way of kind of tempering the potential boredom that could arise is um, have like a intro speaker. Um, I was at a conference recently and they had basically this, he was like an MC. He was kind of hosting, you know, introducing the different speakers, but he was hilarious. And so in between each speaker, he kind of made comments about what, what they just learned, kind of compacted all the takeaways, but in a really funny kind of um, uh, sarcastic way. And I think that can be a good way of keeping the energy up in a crowd. Um, you know, environmental stuff, like what Christoph was saying is amazing. Like who doesn't love, you know, it makes it feel like a concert almost or um, like a truly interactive event. Um, and I, I don't know, I've seen speakers do it all types of ways. I'm, I'm never against getting people up and moving. If it's 11 o'clock in the morning on a, on a Sunday, um, you know, it depends. If, if it's coming from the planner side, there's things you can do to, based on what you know you have coming from the speech from the speaker to kind of ramp it up beforehand, afterhand, passing stuff out as people come in. Um, and then on the speaker side, it's just knowing your knowing your audience and, and trying to keep it engaging because the worst thing <laughs> is a boring speaker or a speaker, you know, who comes in and you know, the other just thing doesn't too connect is, with the audience the language at all. We I've heard use some is really that simple, right? <laughs> so sometimes speakers speakers go up and they say, oh, this will be very difficult. I'm like, well, thanks for setting me up, you know, for to, to want to pay attention. And then sometimes also, you know, it's like the, the, the how you exactly. talk, like, you know, mm -hmm. make it interactive. Like the other day I was actually speaking to a, to a football team and I was talking about how I couldn't wrestle um, because the only reason I couldn't wrestle is because of the outfits that the wrestlers wear. And I made a very, you know, I basically pretended like I was putting one of those outfits on. And and tell, I tell you what, they it got their attention, right? Because it was interactive. It wasn't just like I was standing there saying, I don't like to <laughs> wrestle because, you know, whatever. Um, so it's really, it's the language too that we use and don't use language you know, like sometimes even speakers, I mean, this, I don't, I haven't seen this recently, but they go up and they say, oh, I couldn't sleep all night. I was still working on my presentation. Or I'm like, well, if you, if you have to stay up all night to finish it, I, I'm, I guess you're an ex expert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so, um, well, we're getting near the end of the podcast here, and I, I just want, want to point the audience to uh, Christine's article she wrote for us on uh, meetingstoday.com, Why the Speaker Bureau is Your Friend. So you can head on over there to check that out. Lots of uh, 
good uh, basic information and kind of in some detailed um, information about working with speakers bureaus that uh, I think it's definitely worth a read. Um, and I think maybe the last question I'm going to throw out is, you know, say you have the speaker, they, they do a great job. What sort of additional things can they offer the audience um, after the speech? So they've inspired all these people. Now these people probably want to shake their hands or, or get their book. Um, how do you how do you build that into the program and kind of what's fair to ask or do these things cost extra money? How does that work? Yeah, great point, Tyler. Um, at a conference I just did a week ago, they had uh, he's a great author. He wrote a book back in the early 2000s and it is very reasonable. A lot of speakers, especially ones that are authors, will offer a certain amount of free books. Um for signing or for just giving out to the executive team. And then you can also kind of do a bulk buy from these authors. And I think setting up, you know, a book signing at the end, if they are a notable speaker or something like that uh, is a great value add um, for, you know, if, if it kind of cements the message and, and gives them a personal interaction with the person that they learn these lessons from. So uh, it's, it's very reasonable for a corporation, a planner to ask the speaker, um, you know, do you guys offer any books? We would love to set out a table and or do a book signing afterwards. Sometimes the speaker will say, oh, yeah, we'll give you 100 of my, my last book and, and we'll offer the new book for sale. Um, or, uh, or maybe the speaker will say, oh, yeah, well, you, you know, we, we work with bulkbuybooks.com if you buy, you know, hundred, I'll put in 10 free ones for the executive team. And I would love and be open to doing, um, a book signing. Usually a book signing is not going to be, the speaker's not going to ask for extra money for that. It's kind of a, you know, all within the same hour or so event. Um, and they're usually glad to do that because, you know, their speakers, they love coming in and getting paid to work, but they also, they have messages they're trying to put out there into the world and any way that you can get your book into someone's hand, um, or even just get a picture with some, adoring audience to post on Instagram, as we all know, um, there's all these ways to kind of further your message. So it's definitely not um, out of the picture to ask about a potential actor. It certainly leaves some time for people uh, to actually interact, right? Sure. Some conferences you have to rush around and there's no time. So that's always nice. The other thing when it comes to book uh, purchases, one thing I didn't, I don't, I haven't done this myself, Christine, but I know some speakers who have books and have new books do it. Um, they ask the conferences if they can buy them and then they ask them to buy them at a certain time. And the reason they do that is because like the New York Times bestseller list, right? Of course, it's comprised uh, for, for different time periods. So if you if you have a bunch of conferences coming up and everybody buys your book at that time, you can end up on the bestseller list just because five conferences bought 500 books apiece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah, Oh, well, excellent. Um, thanks, you guys. Uh, once again, we had uh, Christoph Trapp, who is um, the um, content engagement director for Staymates Business Media, parent company of Meetings Today. Um, and also thank you, Christine, um, speaker agent. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us today. And um, thanks to all of you out there in listener land for joining us for our getting the most out of your speaker presentation today and make sure to tune in to meetingstoday.com to check out our full range of uh, additional podcasts on topics that are all relevant to the meetings industry. 
thanks and have a great rest of the day.